in Matthew 25 where Jesus says, when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And I'm discovering that chaplaincy is not so much about people seeing Jesus in me as it is me seeing the Jesus in them, you know, and, mm. and, and those moments and those patients and the people who are sick and their families and the doctors and the staff and the different ones. And um, I encounter Christ in, in, in the eyes of many people from many races and religions and faiths and colors and creeds. Uh, and, and every day as I walk the halls, it's like I see God in different ways and in different people. Got a beard and it's looking something fierce. Having beers with my beers and talking rap careers. Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears. Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears. I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas. I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music beers. Chilling at the shows and talking about the pain with people who learned how to face it and be sane. Sipping on a brew, doing interviews. No topics off the table, but we focus on breakthroughs. So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check. You're listening to Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. One, two, one, two, a mic check. Stone Bands, Royal Ruckus on the scene just to announce. We got the brews, we got the beards. Tasty interviews for your ears to hear. One, two, one, two, a mic check. Stone Bands, Royal Ruckus on the scene just to announce. We got the brews, we got the beards. Tasty interviews for your ears to hear. Welcome to this episode of Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. I'm your host, Jamie Bennett, also known as Chun Jay of Royal Ruckus, and I'm here with my co-host, Nomadic Vagabond. Man, how are you doing, my dude? Dude, I'm doing fantastic. We just uh, went to the Middle Eastern Festival today after church, so uh, got some nice, uh, got some good, probably the best falafel I've ever had. Sounds amazing. And then I had a... course i had some little turkish coffee nice and some baklava man i i was just talking about falafel today um i don't think i discovered falafel like actually ate it until i lived in philadelphia and there was uh there were food trucks everywhere and there was this great middle eastern truck that had falafel when Mm -hmm. when did you discover falafel man it's probably because of where i work Cause like, it's, oh. you know, kind of like a natural food store. So, sure. um, you know, we have people bringing like hummus and falafel and stuff. So I think I had it once. Uh, and plus we have like a, a Lebanese restaurant by my house. So I tried some oh, falafel sure. and I was like, Oh, what is this? And so I tried it and it was same thing as Baba Ganoush. That's another thing I really like. Oh man. I love some good Baba Ganoush. Yeah, but the funny thing is with uh, falafel, cause like all the, all the fake meats that are out on the market these days. Yep. Yeah. Um, falafel is like the OG of <laughs> alternative meat, you know, like, it's true. and we're talking like OG, like not like 40 years ago, like, like 1500 years ago or something yep. like that, you know, yeah. monks in Egypt or something were fasting mm-hmm. and they ate that instead of meat, I think is how the story yeah. goes. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, for, for myself, uh, I also ate Mediterranean food today. I went out for all the Sunday school teachers from our church were invited for like a like a little social kind of celebrate the Sunday school teachers thing. So everybody got a meal at a local Greek restaurant. I didn't have falafel. I had lamb chops. So yeah. Yeah, really suffering for the Lord here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in in other things, though, uh, the stuff that's been going on with me, probably the biggest bit of news since our last episode was that I was just out in Texas. I was in Fort Worth. Uh, recording with DJ Sean P for 
my new project, which I've talked about a little bit. Um, one thing I don't think I've mentioned, I'll just briefly mention it here. I think we'll we'll unpack a little more in a future episode. But um, what was originally going to be like a standalone inspirational project, you know, just one album inspired in large part by Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers of the neighborhood. Um, that actually turned into a three EP project. So rather than one single project, it's three shorter projects and kind of dropping in, in uh, sequence. And that was really just fun to get in there with, with Sean. And I'll tell you what, one of the things I tried to do was I tried to imagine how would Fred Rogers have used his time in the recording studio? Because sometimes when I go in the studio, especially if you consider, I mean, Sean's a friend, but it's also like a business of his. So when we're in the studio, I'm paying for the time. And I, I don't know. I was just thinking, how, how would Fred Rogers be here? And Fred Rogers was slow, methodical. He took time to speak to people. Uh, like, I, I think in one of the documentaries uh, I saw, they were saying that people would actually complain, like like uh, people on the set would actually complain that he would spend too much time with mm -hmm. a guest because he wanted to give them exactly the time they needed. And that's what Sean and I did. And it was kind of crazy. We'd, we'd come in and we would just sit down and we would sit and have coffee for like 30 or 45 minutes and just talk yeah. before we'd even start recording. And like, we got into our feelings, you know, we got into what's been going on in life. We've recorded a few projects together. So, uh, you know, he lives in Texas. I live in Florida. So like, we don't see each other a whole lot. So it was really great to, to do all that. So I'm really excited. We're working on the mixes and trying to get that ready. Um, I, I've made some decisions in how I'm promoting it uh, that have slowed me down a little bit. Uh, but the long and the short of it is uh, we've, you know, we got a project coming planning to drop the first EP in November. And uh, I'd love to do another episode with you where we just kind of focus on what that's all about. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. But in the meantime, we've got a music video coming and lots, lots and lots of exciting stuff. But today we're not here to talk about my music project. We actually have, uh, have a guest. Uh, surprise, surprise. He is a man of many talents. Like we're talking... This guy is a musician, which is not a not a surprise here, but he's also a chaplain. And so we're going to get into some of that and we're going to learn about like what makes him tick and and how these two very what seemingly very different roles, what what how that plays in his life. But I also want to touch on some other things personal to him. He's a worship leader. Uh, he's been featured in Relevant and CCM magazines, ambitious uh, it, like ambitiously and notably, this guy has been taking the Psalms from scripture and he's been adapting them for modern use. Uh, I'm really excited to learn a, a little bit more about that. He's also the podcast host of a show called Voices in My Head. And relevant to something we've been talking about already on the show is that he created and curates a popular Twitter page at Mr. Rogers Say. This page is really cool. Post just basically it's just quotes from Fred Rogers. And like, I'm pretty sure it's every day. It seems like every time I look at Twitter, I see it. Um, now, he also has created another podcast that's sort of an outgrowth of this Twitter page. And it's called Welcome to the Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers tribute podcast. Um, and like, this is nothing to be trifled with. I mean, this podcast has actually had like the Officer Clemens you know, the Mr. McFeely, 
on there. Like there have been some incredible, incredible uh, people on there. And in fact, an artist that I used to have a crush on. And when I was a barista at Starbucks, actually served her coffee. He's even spoken to Jackie Velasquez. So welcome to the show, Rick Lee James. Thank you. Glad to be here. And Jackie is a, is a wonderful person. She is so kind and uh, it's been my privilege on, on a couple occasions to do a couple of podcasts with her. And, wow. uh, and, I, and yeah, and spelling her name correctly on her coffee cup, I'm sure that would be a challenge <laughs> uh, for sure. <laughs> but thank, thank you for inviting me here. I'm so excited to be able to, to visit with you both tonight. Yeah, we're, we're so glad to, to have you on here, Rick. Um, now, I want to jump right into something, though, because this show, as everybody knows, and you knew this before you came on, uh, this show is called Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks. But the first word is brews. And, you know, you, you told me you don't actually drink beer. But the good news is we're friendly to all kinds of brews. Um, you told us that you there's a particular brew you like. Can you tell us about it? Well, you know what? My favorite, it's, it's actually originally started here in Springfield, Ohio, where I live. Although they don't make it here anymore. Uh, but it's a root beer called Frost Top. And I don't know if it's like all throughout the nation or not. I know there's several states. They still have actual like root beer stands you can go to in some places. So it's almost kind of like the idea, like about the only thing I can think of now that we even have equivalent is almost like Sonic has become where you drive in. But these are, these are the real old, you know, I want to say it was the uh, early 1900s that, that uh, they were, uh, probably probably 1940s 1950s there was a lot of like frost top root beer stands uh, around wow. you could just drive your car in and get a burger and <laughs> whatever but now you can still find it bottled around the area and uh, it's just I don't know what it is about it but it's my favorite root beer so if, if we're talking a, a brew uh, it's just delicious so I'll, I'll give that one as my favorite I love it you know what one of the things I think I didn't realize growing up is that like Soda is actually a brew, mm. um, at least properly made soda. I, I don't know. Maybe they have other ways to do it. But like it's it really is an elixir that comes from carefully crafted ingredients and root beer, especially. Mm-hmm. Have, yeah. have either of you guys tried to make root beer or anything? I haven't. I've uh, tried to make ginger ale or ginger beer. Ooh, come out. OK. <laughs> um. No, is what happened is I you're supposed to have like a little yeast starter that you start with sugar and the ginger, like bug okay. is what it's called. Yeah. But you're supposed to like boil like the ingredients and then add that after it's been boiled. But I added it to the boil and I killed the bug. I see. Yeah. And well, and then it basically is what what happened. It was like lemon ginger water. Oh, oh, well, that 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 actually uh, reminds me of something that I have been wanting to admit on the show, and that is that I quit drinking. Um, It's a little embarrassing to have a show where the first word implies that it's about beers and I don't even drink actual alcoholic beers. So uh, so you've heard it first here. I have given up alcohol for one year. And that is why for multiple episodes, when you ask me, what am I drinking? I've been drinking non-alcoholic beers. 
And tonight I am drinking a non-alcoholic non-beer, but it's it's a uh, it's hoppy refresher by Lagunitas. And Lagunitas makes a really great IPA. That's my favorite uh, that that they brew, but they brew a number of great beers. However, I decided that uh, with my son being young, me doing the things that I'm doing professionally this mm -hmm. year, and uh, I'm, I'm finishing up a master's program in theology, I decided that a year without alcohol would be a smart thing to do. And I like it so much, I'm not sure I'm going to go back to drinking alcohol. So wow. it's weird coming out of my mouth because uh, <laughs> I do like a good frothy beverage, but I might have to switch to Frost Top. <laughs> so a, a good choice <laughs> are you guys sipping on anything right now um well i mean rick are you drinking a frost top right now <laughs> i i wish i had a frost top no i i actually am not at the moment but uh i i may have to go find one later because we're talking about it and they're pretty good <laughs> i just imagine a nice mug with a nice frosty thick top i'm like man that sounds yeah. good <laughs> yeah it's good stuff yeah well uh what about you nomadic are you drinking anything i'm sipping on two things i'm sipping on a uh Northwest Pilsner. It's a collaboration between Occidental Brewing and Little Beast Brewing. Um, Occidental is the brewery, but they have a rotating Pilsner collaboration they do with other breweries. And the other thing I'm sipping on in, uh, you know, solidarity with my non-alcoholic brothers over here <laughs> is uh, it's this uh, sparkling hops beverage called Lolo. Ah, nice. Um, it's actually, it does have a little sugar in it. So it's kind of like a hop soda. Okay. Um, but sometimes I've had those hop waters where it's just hoppy water. And I had a, like the other night at this uh, Shakespeare play I had, it was like this double hopped hop water and it smelled great, but the, there was so much hops in it and no like sweetness from malt or sugar to balance it out. It was just like this bitter tongue ripping liquid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So th this that sounds kind of nice and balanced. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we like a little balance. Yeah. Well, I, I've got one more question related to beverages while, while we're on this subject, but this one's for Rick. Uh, Rick, you did mention that you mostly drink water, which honestly is really smart. I mean, if you told me you mostly drink orange juice, I'd be a little concerned about your blood sugar. So tell me a little bit about that. Is this, is this a conscious choice or is this just something that over time you've just been like, oh, I just like water? Um, yeah. It is a conscious choice, actually, just because I know in the past I've, I've drunk a lot of uh, sugary products and sure. um, I've actually always struggled with my weight and I lost about 50 pounds a few years back and I've done my Incredible. best to keep it off. Uh, so actually now as I, as I walk the halls at the hospital as a chaplain, a lot of times water is just the easiest thing to grab too. And, uh, right. and usually you're around and and about all there is to get is uh, things you buy from the cafeteria, but water is free. And so I can always go get water. And nice. so that's mostly, it's not all I drink, but you know, on a regular basis. So it's just, uh, for me, it's a health choice. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really smart. Um, my, my brothers and I, a few years ago, we did a, a gallon a day challenge. And of course, it, you know, mm. there's also an argument to be said about too much of a good thing might might be uh, not a great idea. My my wife's a dietitian, and she doesn't necessarily encourage a gallon of water a day. 
But for a man my size, it's not terribly unreasonable. And um, it turned out, though, I figured out that I drink a lot of water because it was not terribly difficult for me to get that gallon. But uh, now here's the thing. The the show has three words in it. And the middle name of the show is Beards. And there is not a hair on your chinny chin chin. <laughs> so, or or on my heady head head either. Yeah, I just... Uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, t- tell me about that. Have you ever had a beard or uh, or or do you just avoid facial hair? I have had beards in the past. Uh, what actually happens is for some reason, I can never get past the itch. They just oh, itch me sure. like fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while there, each year at Lent, I would grow my beard out for the season of Lent. And by the time it was done... Uh, I, I was not only, I kept having people tell me, no, you just got to get through it. You'll stop itching eventually. And it just, it felt like it just got worse every day. It was just, it was almost like a, a matter of uh, a, a penance or something that I was doing for all the itching that I had. So I've always been an admirer of beards and I've always wanted to grow one, but I just, I honestly, I'm too, I guess I'm a wimp. I just can't handle them. Um, and the other part of it is I, even at age 45 i cannot grow it thick enough to look like i even have the mustache part oh, so sure. i always i always look like i'm an amish person or something and uh, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that it just you know you kind of want a, a full beard and i could just never get one the way i want so i i apologize i'm deficient on both of the first <laughs> two uh parts of your show tonight i i don't have a good brew story and i, I can't grow a beard and and i've been bald for years so I'm, I'm just you know thanks thank you for graciously inviting me anyway because i'm just like the worst guest possible well the the reality is we like you exactly how you're made um okay. you you are special just the way you are so <laughs> i appreciate that now, one thing I'm curious about, though, related to that, because I wasn't thinking about this till right now. If you live in, like, Dave Chappelle, Ohio, mm-hmm. you probably are not far from Amish, Ohio. Yeah, not far at all. Yeah, we're, most, of, uh, most of the Amish communities live, I would say, within an hour and a half from where I live. Uh, wow. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean we don't have, you know, uh, a few in the area. But, yeah, we're, there's a lot of farmland around us but if you go just a little bit east of where i live you really get into some beautiful country yeah and, uh, and the, i've actually eaten in uh some amish homes and they boy they're oh, wonderful. wonderful cooks and uh they they just treat you wonderfully when you're there as a guest and sure. uh, yeah if that's that's the thing if i lived in in actual amish country i would probably go back to really struggling with my weight because they have so much good food <laughs> and uh, they're really good with desserts especially but Wow. wonderful souls for sure when, when, when i lived in uh pennsylvania i saw a lot of the amish and i was i was amazed in lancaster county pennsylvania um at the costco there was parking for horse and buggies and i'd never seen i mean i'm from california originally like you don't see horse and buggies in california you certainly don't see them in in florida at least not the part of florida i live in you know there's no right. no horse and buggies in miami <laughs> but Lancaster, Pennsylvania, they they not only had a parking section, they had a covered area so that the, the horses could be sheltered from the elements. It's amazing. Mm, that's that's a good idea. Now, you uh, one of the things that 
made you such a great fit uh, in a, a shoe in for this show is you're a musician and you play multiple instruments. Like how, how many do you play? Do you count it? <laughs> you know, I haven't really counted in a while. Um, my, my two main instruments that I play most often are uh, piano and guitar. Uh, I'm best on guitar. Usually when I go in the recording studio, um, I play most of the guitars and most of the pianos. Um, I can play a little bit on drums. Um, most things with strings I play. So mandolin, banjo. Um, I've done a little dobro in the past, uh, things like that. But uh, yeah, I've never really taken time to, I guess, necessarily count, play harmonica. Um, yeah, I should be better prepared because I had your question in advance. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, most, most instruments I, I try to get around on a little bit one way or another. Uh, but I'm, I'll just say I'm best on, on guitar and piano. So okay. those, are, those, are the, those are my you ones that the I play the recorder. Uh, <laughs> I, I have. It's been many years, but yeah, I think whatever grade that is that we usually have that fifth grade, we definitely or something. <laughs> we definitely had recorder class, so I don't know if I remember it, but I, I'm guessing it would come back pretty quickly, and I could show you how mediocre I am on the recorder for sure. <laughs> I don't know though. If you could play the harmonica, I feel like if anybody can make a, a harmonica sound decent, like that, you just have the right instincts for music. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a fun one, and I, I think people they don't realize how intricate harmonica can be, uh, especially when you get into like how to bend the notes and and you know right. run different scales and actually make tunes from it. You know that you're intending to make. I think some people you have uh, you know a lot of folk singers that just I feel like kind of blow into it and and make sound in the right key. But for people that are, um, and I'm not saying I'm one of them because I don't play harmonica uh, very much anymore sure um but to really learn it it's it's quite a it's quite an instrument and the people who play it very well actually make a pretty good living in nashville playing harmonica on recordings i think so yeah 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 i would imagine now, have you taken any lessons on any of your instruments or or were you in any school orchestras or band or any anything tell us a little bit about that yeah uh i i started taking band let's see what I'm trying to think the, the proper order of all that. I played violin in school when I was in elementary school. I played, uh, I played trombone and band. I hated it. I wanted to play saxophone, but my family couldn't afford a saxophone. Mm. We had a trombone. So I never enjoyed it, but I always played it in the school band. Um, yeah, and I, I took lessons on guitar starting when I was 15 years old. And okay. that was when music really started to click with me was at that point. To me, that yeah. feels like kind of late to start an instrument um, sure. but I just excelled at it like quickly it was one of those that that you know before I knew it I was uh, playing just about anything I wanted to play right. uh, and I haven't felt like I've had a, a, a ton of other talents in other areas um, and maybe have even lacked confidence in other areas but I've always felt pretty confident in in that particular instrument due to uh, some of the early lessons I had with a great teacher his name was Doc Stone his real name's Carrie but we called him Doc, okay. and uh, that, that was sort of his stage name, and he had, uh, I, I lived in Tennessee at the time, and he was uh, a Grand Ole Opry staff player, so he was somebody wow. that uh, whenever, whatever artist came in, he would play for him, um, and he had had a long career in not only country music, but in old gospel music, and, and had played for really just about everybody from 
Um, these are the artists of another era now, but he was Crystal Gale's guitar player. He was Jimmy Dean's guitar player. The uh, wow. You know, I'm, I'm not sure everybody knows that Jimmy Dean was more than the sausage guy, but he actually <laughs> he actually had quite a quite a musical career for some time. Um, more of a legacy talked, there than poor. Yeah, yeah, but he could just literally play anything and kind of took me under his wing and just was more than a, a guitar player to me. He really was. Um, actually, he was influential in helping me kind of discern my call into ministry. And uh, yeah, wow. it was once or twice that I even, you know, he welcomed me over to his home when I was a teenager and spend the night at his house and we'd play guitar till early in the morning and stuff. Wow. So it was just a, it was a fun thing. It was a little bit more than just guitar student and teacher. It really was sort of a yeah. mentor situation. So that's exactly that's what great. I was thinking. It's it mentorship means so much more than just instruction, right? It's yeah. It's it's almost uh it's almost like Christ and the disciples. Discipleship is a is an all of life thing, right? Not just a specific. It's not just a transfer of knowledge. It's also a mm -hmm. transfer of a way of life. If you have a mentor relationship with an artist, like you're not just learning data and learning a few skills to practice. Like you're learning how to be. Mm. That's fascinating. I, I I didn't uh, quite have a relationship like that with my um, with my teachers, but I did have some level of that. In fact, um, on the first Royal Ruckus record, uh, I borrowed a drum machine from my drum teacher, which um, it was a funny exchange, if I remember correctly, because, you know, he obviously would prefer me to play um, the drums, right. but he also understood the genre. And when I told him I had interest in programming drums as well, he's like, well, you can play around with this. And so I borrowed his drum machine, but that's about as close as I got. I, I didn't crash the night or anything like that at my teacher's house. <laughs> Understood. Most people don't. It was, it was kind of a rare thing for sure. That's cool. Now, how long did you, was, so you were living in Nashville then? Or um, I went to college in Nashville, but I, in high school, I, I lived just outside of Nashville, about 40 minutes away. Uh, in a, a little town called Dixon, uh, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. It's the it's not that anybody needs to know this, but it's actually the site where if you've ever seen the movie Ernest Goes to Camp, it, Ernest Goes to Camp was filmed in Dixon. So there's a lot of wow. wooded areas and things like that. And that's kind of the the city will still tell you to this day, like you know, this is where Ernest. And they still do like an Ernest festival every year. Oh wow! <laughs> so, wow. In, that, in that area, um, but yeah, so it was. It was there that I really learned a love for music. I accepted my call into ministry there. Um, I ended up going to Nashville to college and graduated from Trevecca uh, University wow. um, in, in, in Nashville. And uh, so I really loved, loved my time in that area. I haven't lived there since about some, I think it was the year 2000, something like that, maybe the 99 when I left okay. Nashville and haven't lived there since, but I've gone back many times and and yeah had albums made there it's, it's a it's kind of a magical town for music that's that's certainly yeah. uh, a, a real uh, plus if you enjoy music and living there there's a lot of opportunities to hear it yeah no, I, I i absolutely love nashville i still have a nashville phone number actually um I, oh. I i lived there for six years most of the time i lived actually down in franklin but uh oh, okay. we we were on the christian music scene and um yeah, we we did we did a lot of stuff in Nashville. I used to joke that Nashville was where I got a record deal 
and where my career fell apart. Um, wow. You know, I moved to Nashville in order for my career to fall apart. Um, well, welcome <laughs> to Nashville, folks. That's, that's how it goes. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's true. But uh, on the other hand, I will say uh, those were incredible years and I made deep lasting friendships um, and in fact, in a lot of ways, like even this conversation probably wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for that because of just how things connect. I mean, my next door neighbor in Nashville is the one who got me back into Mr. Rogers as an adult and like a whole bunch of things like that. It just all just kind of weaves in together uh, to beautifully bring us to the present moment. Yeah. But in that present moment, I have another question for you. <laughs> you you're an artist like you're not just. Uh, you're not just a guy who tinkers around with with uh, guitars in his garage. And there's nothing wrong with tinkering around with guitars in your garage. I love the garage for tinkering around. But like you're you're a true artist. And one of one of the things that um, that I noticed in your bio is that you're an artist for breed love guitars. Mm. Like you love <laughs> guitars so much. You're like, I should rep a brand. <laughs> Tell me about that. Uh, well, Breed Love, it, it, it's a, I don't know if, if listeners or if either of you have ever played one, they're, they're kind of like, they're not a super expensive guitar, uh, and yet they're not like the bottom floor either, and they have, uh, the guitar that I play from Breed Love is actually, uh, the Jeff Bridges model, um, okay. the, the actor Jeff Bridges, he's actually a pretty decent guitar player, and, and if you've ever seen his film Crazy Heart, uh, he does most of the playing and singing, all of the singing in that film. Um, and I don't know, it's it's kind of a, a family feel to the company. Uh, so I've gotten to do like uh, online concert kind of showcases and stuff wow. throughout. Uh, like uh, during the pandemic, I did a concert through Breed Love. And so they broadcast it out through their page. Um, and yeah, I just, I really enjoy their instruments. And I kind of encourage people, especially like you don't have to have like the most expensive guitars, they have really good quality instruments and the, the people who make them, um, they, they really take special care in, in the product that they make. So I always feel like it's, uh, it's fun to have one that is, is a little bit, you know, they're not the best known brand in the world, but they, sure. they, take, they have a lot of heart behind what they do. And they're always innovating and, and trying to make, you know, unique instruments. And to me, they sound really good with a microphone even better than like when they're plugged in. So uh, really? I might actually grab one and, and mic it up for a studio session um, and, and play it that way. Whereas I might use my, my Taylor guitar live, you know, cause it might sound better plugged in or something like that. But for me, when you're just doing a flat out acoustic, I've got a classical guitar from Breed Love and I have the Jeff Bridges model and, I just think they make a really good product. So I really enjoy, I'm, I'm just grateful that they let me be an artist for them, yeah. honestly. Right. It's, it's an honor. Sounds like you have a variety of guitars around your house that you work with. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, uh, well, in the other room where my studio is, I've got, um, uh, I've got a Fender a Stratocaster and it's, uh, it's a special model that has uh, kind of, It'll, with the turn of a knob, you can make it in drop into drop D, or you can turn it into dag dad tuning, or you can turn it into a baritone guitar. I'll just, you know, like switching the knobs. Uh, so that's a fun one to play around with live because you can 
quickly change tunings without actually, you know, detuning your guitar or anything. Wow. Um, so, so I use that to record actually my, uh, my newest single, as I walk these halls, that's the only, uh, electric I played on that song. There's about four different electric guitar parts and I did it all with that one guitar. Wow. Um, but yeah. And I think also in the other room, I've got my, my breed love classical guitar. Um, I've got a Taylor dreadnought guitar in there. Um, uh, I've got, I think I've got a Washburn sitting in the other room now, but I have a few others. Like I have a Telecaster at my church and uh, a couple other things that I leave, you know, where I'm going to be leading worship on Sunday morning. Uh, sure. But yeah, my, some would argue I have too many guitars, but as most guitar players would tell you, that's not really a thing. So, right, <laughs> you <right. can> yeah. <laughs> so, and, and you yeah. have a, you have a studio there in your house too. Yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, it's just really kind of a, a small room. Uh, it's it's not studio in the sense that like you would professionally want to go in and you know okay. be awed by it or anything, but it, it's mostly a setup with uh, an interface where I can go through a uh, a Mac that I have and uh, I just do all the recording in there. So I've got my keyboard set up and I've got ways to plug in the guitars and mics and things like that. So it's a it's a pretty good one man operation. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and it, it sounds like too, if you've been playing around with uh, the difference between plugging your guitar in and miking it, uh, it sounds like you've spent a good amount of time in the studio figuring out what sounds right. Yeah, I've been in a lot of studio settings. Thankfully, the last three like singles that I've released over the last year, so they've all been uh, completely done in my home, and that's wow. kind of a fun thing to be able to do. But I've recorded, uh, I did an album with Lifeway Worship in Nashville a few years ago. And that was like a really fun experience to work with guys uh, who are just, you know, completely uh, professionals and do this for a living all the time and have played right. on just about everybody's albums. And Lifeway was kind enough to, to finance that album and bring me in and do that project. And that was so much fun to be able to wow. like learn and watch and, and see how they do it. And just the way that they'll come in with such speed, they'll, you know, they'll record 10 songs in a matter of like six hours and and they sound just incredible you know so you right. have situations like that uh an album i did after that i did in new york with uh with old bear records and that was a, a complete opposite situation from that where it's a huge studio with every instrument you can imagine and you got time to just play around on so we took like a week on that one and, and i'd go and you know you kind of test the room out and it was much more of an indie type feel to it and wow. bring in some musicians and and uh yeah so i've, I've been in a, a variety of, of studio settings over the years um and they all are unique and they all have a different right. feel uh but i really am enjoying having a chance uh, to do it at home and not have to travel so far away <laughs> to do projects and, oh yeah and, for sure and 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 you can do it so much more affordably than you used to be able to just with uh, the technology that we have now. It's kind of amazing. And, and yeah, just the fact that you can get, you know, not that people listen to the radio as much anymore, but they're, you can get like radio ready songs, you know, and, and they're ready to go. So, yeah, you really can, especially if you or someone, you know, um, is, is very good at leveraging the technology for mixing. Mm -hmm. uh, I've even found, I mentioned DJ Sean P earlier. Um, you know, I had a song a couple of years ago that I just recorded on a little Radio Shack microphone. Now, of course, it's rap. So uh, sometimes with rap, you're going for some gritty effects and things. But I I liked my delivery on that recording so 
so well, I just gave it to Sean and said, see what you can do with this. And mm. it sounds every bit as good as the songs that I recorded in his studio. Now that yeah. has more to do with his ability to mix than anything, but uh, you can get a great sound at home if you do it right. Well, I love the fact that you said Radio Shack microphone. <laughs> me too. That's still take out it to back. Me as well. <laughs> yeah, Rick, I was going to ask too, because um, you talked about having a, a dreadnought guitar. Mm-hmm. I've got a uh, um, a Martin dreadnought guitar. What's the difference yeah. between dreadnought and like other, like say, acoustic guitars? I think. Boy, I'm not sure I'm the expert on this, but I think it really comes down to kind of the shape of the guitar. Uh, they're not cutaways, okay. and they just kind of have that uh, typical. It's it's not a figure eight style like if you see an old, right. you know, one of those jumbo Gibsons or something. Um, so it would probably be comparable if you saw mine and yours body wise in in the same mm-hmm. room together. Um, necks are going to change a little bit, but yeah, those are. Yeah. Uh, speaking of bluegrass, the one you have because uh, listeners won't know this, but I have a shirt that says legalized bluegrass on it. And uh, <laughs> I love the, the it. one you have. Those are like great uh, bluegrass guitars. And in fact, if you're at a bluegrass festival playing, they almost won't even let you on the stage unless you have a Martin. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Yeah, I know my dad gave it to me because it was like, I think it was like, I think it was like the guitar like Gene Autry played or oh wow somebody I remember it was like some older country guy he was like this is the one so I got it for my graduation gift even though I'm a drummer but you know wow <laughs> that's a gift to treasure that's wonderful yeah, yeah and you know I still don't know how to play it I can make it sound good <laughs> but yeah. I don't know chords <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 hard to put a, a guitar in a drummer's hand and expect anything to come out uh yep. <laughs> You know, you could do some guitar smashing or something uh, for a music video, and that's about it that a drummer can do naturally, well, anyway. But on the other hand, it's it, it, acoustic guitars are actually considered percussion instruments. So uh, I hadn't considered that. Yeah. They so is a piano. Sustain. Yeah. So, you know, it, it could still be in the same family. That's pretty wild. Now, you you are fairly self-evidently Christian. Um, we, I mean, we've all kind of dropped something, uh, Christian related already in this, in this conversation. Um, but when it, when it comes to music, uh, it's also obvious that you incorporate that in your music, just looking at your catalog, it's, it's easy to figure that out. Right. Yeah. Right. What I'm curious is, has it always been that way for you? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Um, the interesting thing is I'm not that big a fan of most Christian music, which is kind of an odd thing okay. to say. Uh, but for me, it has always just been the truest expression of, of who I am. And mm-hmm. it, it seems to be what I gravitate toward when I write. I've written a few songs here and there over the years that weren't you know, specifically uh, aimed at that. But I think it's how I make sense of the world. And uh, so I, I admire people that... Um, make so many different genres of music and i enjoy listening to so many uh but for me it just it just has always felt the truest um you know when i was in in high school i wanted to be uh just a guitar player and i i thought you know one day i'll i'll be like a studio musician playing electric guitar for some country band or something especially being around uh nashville 
And sure. Christian music wasn't even on my radar, but anytime I went to write, it just always felt like the most natural fit. And um, so today, yeah, I just, this still seems to be uh, where my heart goes for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Um, and it's been interesting, I think, to track my own life uh, through the different, I think even the different ways that I view who God is have changed. Mm-hmm. And I think you can probably track that on songs. I have songs in my early days it's almost like pastors will tell you, you know, I'm, they're not even sure if they believe what they preached in their first sermon anymore. <laughs> and <laughs> it's it's probably like that with me, too. If I would look back at some of my earlier music versus where sure. I am now um, and you think like, boy, did I did I really believe that at the time when I wrote that? Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's a it's a beautiful way to think about the ways that our understanding of faith can change over time too, and Definitely. evolve and grow. And I think maybe hopefully, Lord willing, um, I feel like I'm a more gracious person now and less judgmental than I used to be. And I I think hopefully that comes out in the music as well. Um, Yeah. But but yeah, that's kind of my musical (laughs) songwriting preference, I guess, in a nutshell. That that makes sense. Um, And, you know, I I have, for me, especially as a rapper, because rap is so expressive and there's just a lot more words in rap songs than most other kinds of songs. Um, it when Christian rappers, when Christians who are rappers write, um, they often will have quite a bit of lyrical content that is explicitly Christian. Um, for me, I've been all over the map on like how to approach that. Now, at no point have I ever felt like I need to remove my faith from the equation altogether. It's just been a more of a matter of like wrapping my mind around, no pun intended, but wrapping my mind around how the song um, reflects my faith. Is it is it necessarily uh, more preaching style or is it more, uh, you know, you can kind of get it out of it. Like and, and in rap, you would see a lot of Christian rappers, especially in in my era of Christian rap, you'd you'd see like very different ways of approaching it you'd have some guys practically doing apologetics mm-hmm. in rhymes. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you'd have, well, more guys like me that are bringing our faith into it, but we're talking about dating girls and, uh, you know, having coffee. And now that we're I'm not on a tacos. Christian, we're eating tacos. And now that I'm not tacos. on a Christian label, I can mention that I drink beer, you know, like mm-hmm. some things that really didn't work when I was in the Nashville scene. And of course I was willing to play by the rules and, uh, you know, I had to edit some lyrics, take out, you know, some references that were not sinful, but they just would be uncomfortable culturally for some Christians. And so it was better to leave that out. For me, where I've struggled, and this is this is where I'm going uh, with it all. For me, where I've struggled is like, I want to share my music with as many people as possible. And I've sometimes felt like with the more explicitly Christian I've made my music, the harder it is to get people to hear it. And I'm just curious what your experience has been with that and how your songwriting, uh, how you've wrestled with your songwriting around this issue. Uh, I think you're probably right, for one thing. And and I I wanted to say, you know, a good bit of my writing has been actually for a specific purpose to serve the church so mm, a lot of right. it has been geared around writing music that uh that congregations can sing together 
Yeah. Um, so it might be a song that actually is geared more toward that way. That definitely does narrow it down because it's kind of a subgenre within a subgenre, <laughs> you know, right. in that regard. Um, however, I, I've been interested to find relationships that I've formed over the years that don't have anything to do with Christianity whatsoever. And in fact, um, even sometimes the ways that I'm invited onto podcasts to talk to people that don't have any interest in faith whatsoever. Sure. Um, and that may not have as much to do with my music as much as just um, things in life. Sometimes it's Fred Rogers and connections like that. Um, right. But I feel like I've, I've got a, a lot of relationships with people from many different faiths, many different cultures. And so while it can definitely narrow maybe the audience who will hear your music down, um, I definitely feel like living a life that isn't content to be only in those circles is a very important part of, of who we have to become uh, in order to be authentic. And it kind of breaks my heart when you were talking about um, just the way, as, as you know, um, it feels like Christians sometimes are so fragile, like you can't address certain <laughs> topics, you know, like, sure. uh, th like there are some real things that I think we would benefit from so much in mm -hmm. like, even if it yeah you know christian music we should have songs about divorce and we should have songs mm. about you know drug abuse and but you know things that right. actually do come up i was just thinking this last week there was a i think it was this last week there was like a viral video of toby mac being on like good morning america or something like that talking about his son who died of a drug overdose um mm. and and that that would probably at one time have been very taboo for Christians to even talk about. And yet, yeah, I, I don't know. Is it because we're not talking about it and not talking about right. you know, struggles and things that sometimes Christian music can feel so inauthentic? And, right. and I, I think it's something that it's getting better than it used to be, especially with, um, with the rise of independent artists who don't have to wait for a label necessarily to make their music. Right. But it's still a thing I think we have a lot of, of growth to do because if we're not careful, the whole Christian subgenre can just be an exercise in just preaching to the choir only and never right. never branching out beyond that. Right. So thank you for that good question. Yeah, I, well, I there's there's no, so go, much go ahead, nomadic. I say there's there's so much healing from people being real and sharing struggles like you know i've heard songs from people who you know are christian and have shared their struggles whether it's you know like you're saying divorce or drug abuse or um you know other struggles and it's it's been healing you know, for me having gone through similar things you know yeah yeah i i i always think that like when it when it comes to dealing with the big issues in songs the the danger of the christian industry is well as long as you know if it's going to be a song about drugs or something you know as long as he gets saved by the end of the song you know mm -hmm. then it's okay but it might actually take a little more than that to flesh this story out and like i would love to see christian records that are like self-consciously uh, maybe even concept albums that take a whole album to get to that answer, yeah. you know, like, I, and I, I remember actually, if, if you guys don't mind indulging me for just a quick second on some rap stuff, 
I remember the gospel gangsters. Um, yes. They came out with a song at the beginning of their debut album called Before Redemption. Yes. And it was a controversial song. Mm-hmm. But the reason it was controversial is because they rapped about thugging before they found Christ. But the rest of the album is like what happened after they met Christ. And I mean, I don't know, maybe I just thought it was a great song, but when I was 14, 15, I heard the message, you know, I understood that this three minutes was not the whole story. It was Mm -hmm. what came after. And I don't know, it, it, it does seem to me that especially with someone like you, that's, that's thoughtful. Like I invite an opportunity to, you know, to get the listener thinking deeper and we need we need that sort of thing in in our music honestly that said uh you have been working on a particular project we mentioned earlier and i want to go into that because this one uh is pretty special and uh i think the the reason i think it's so appropriate to mention right now is because it's based on a book that covers all of life the highs and the lows and everything in between you've been working on a project based on the Psalms from scripture. Tell us about like what inspired that and how's, how's that going? What have you, what have you done? What have you learned? Well, too many questions. um, I have them all. No, no, (laughs) no, that's fine. No, actually that was, um, it, 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 could be an ongoing project but it's actually a live album that i did a few years ago that was oh, okay i, based I on thought it was song. going sort of like ongoing so it's, well, it's a specific album i i'll say it's ongoing in that i i still do write from the songs and i still use the book a lot but there was a, a specific album that i okay. did live uh in a theater not too far from here uh, and it was called basement psalms uh, was the name of the album and um you're you're exactly right. I, I actually thought of the Book of Psalms and was hoping we could talk about it a little bit because the Psalms, um, so many of them are written from that place, uh, crying out of the depths, and they're they're not mess. I mean, they're not like clean, pristine things. They're they're where people take their wrath out. You know, at times they come to God, and uh, sometimes it seems very unmerciful in the way that they would sing, but. But when you think about what the book of Psalms was, it was the hymn book mm-hmm. for Israel. They would sing these songs about everything in life they were going through. I mean, what, how many times do we have a song in like Christian music today that would deal with someone confessing all of the sins and laying them out in broad detail mm-hmm. about all the things right. they've done? I mean, we have Psalms like Psalm 51 of really it was David's sin with Bathsheba. And he yeah. had murdered and he had cheated and yeah. just done everything. And, and that psalm specifically uses every word for sin that is available in Hebrew. And it's just like he goes through, mm. you know, the way that that it pours out every gory detail <laughs> into sure. a psalm. And you think, wow, this was written for the church to sing together, or, you know, Israel <laughs> at the time. Can you imagine walking in and grabbing a hymn book and having a, a hymn like that or something that we would <laughs> sing in church today? Um, 
it would worship be leader has own. a new tune this week and it's yeah, about my go. sin and repentance exactly this is about that guy i killed him you know <laughs> when i slept with his wife you know it's like let's sing it together now church and oh. um yeah so yeah so the psalms really give us words when we don't have words I mean, they, yeah they deal with a mm, lot of yeah, lament. Yeah. there is so much celebration in the psalms which is wonderful but they are uh, in the in-between of the celebration you have all of these moments of valley and yeah and so yeah uh, yeah getting back to the the original album it was an album uh that then turned into a book called out of the depths of songwriters journey through the psalms and they're kind of a companion piece to one another That's uh, awesome. so i still have a chance to kind of travel around and do some music from the psalms and i still find my voice in the book of psalms because i i don't always have words to pray and i don't always have words that i feel like are adequate in myself situations i'm facing and maybe just one last thing to say about it that i'm thinking of i struggled with and didn't even put a song on this project that dealt with the imprecatory psalms which the imprecatory wow. psalms are the wrath ones you know because i just sure. honestly didn't know what to do with them at the time what do you do with songs like lord break the teeth in their mouth and right. dash their babies on the yeah. rocks you know things like that yeah. which are just to me they you hear it and you go that's just horrible why would we ever do that <laughs> Yeah. But what I wish I would have, maybe I'll do some songwriting about this in the future, but what I wish I would have figured out at the time, which I think I understand better now, is there is nothing that is not safe to pray to God. There yeah. are no words Facts. that are within us that we can't feel free to bring before God. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and let's face it, there are times when we are so filled with rage and anger and hurt that we may not have any other words as we come to the Lord, if we're being honest, as we've been talking about authenticity. Yeah. Um, and again, Fred Rogers, the greatest gift you can ever give another soul is your, gift honest, of your self. honest self. Mm. Um, so if we think about that in terms of not that we expect God is going to answer it, but when we are praying these prayers, like, Lord, tear them up you know break the teeth yeah. in their mouth Lord. which that that's to me just always i think that's the most graphic <laughs> thing i can imagine you know it hurts teeth in their mouth it hurts <laughs> even the the image of it to think about oh and yet i feel like we are we are given language to bring those things to god but to wait and realize that god is probably going to say back to us i hear you and the answer is no <laughs> mm. i'm not going to do that yeah yeah but, but it's okay for you to pray it <laughs> right and it's okay to yeah. get that venom out and maybe yeah. maybe that's what we need in our congregations i'm trying to figure out how we would do that because i yeah. feel like it would almost feel like an endorsement of that behavior sure and right and that's not what i would want to do but if we could just figure out a way for uh us to help people realize it's okay to really give those things to god and, right. and find ways again fred rogers to find ways things to do with your anger that do not hurt you or anyone else right. he would talk about banging on a piano or pounding clay or dough or something but it might be that sometimes just praying those words out from your authentic real self from that deep dark place of your heart is one of the best ways to get rid of that constructive yeah. anger it's better yeah. than it's better than actually doing it to somebody i think sure um, yeah, and yeah i hope that doesn't sound like it's 
something uh, unholy or heretical because it's it's in scripture, you know, it's something that right. I, mm-hmm. I think is there to help us with that. But anyway, I've, I've gone on too long. That's kind of where I'm, my mind was though. Oh, that's, that's good. And I, I, I think one of the things that is really uh, amazing for the Psalms is you're essentially, um, you know, making those prayers your own and, you know, you, you mentioned Psalm 51. I mean, that's from a very intense moment in David's life, uh, more than a moment, really, season. And and nonetheless, though, when you read it, like which one of us, who among us cannot relate to it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've all had those moments where it's just have mercy on me. Oh, God, have mercy on me. You know, and and we're overwhelmed with our own failure. So. One question I'm curious, just kind of a quick follow-up on this. As you did these, the, the basement uh, psalms, um, what what was your process in making those your own? I, I sat down with the book of Psalms, and I just started playing and writing, trying to figure out tunes that would work. Um, <clears throat> I didn't try to go word for word with most of them, but I did just try to get uh, as close as I could and get the gist of it. I, I wanted to be faithful to them in the way that I think somebody like Eugene Peterson would have been that where it's, where it's not exactly just a paraphrase. And I would actually look at some Hebrew words and go through, cause I, oh, wow. I didn't, yeah. didn't want to take advantage of, of like, Oh, this is just what I think it means. I really did want to try to capture like the feel. It's so difficult when you're translating from an ancient language into into one that we have today and a lot right. gets lost in that translation um so that was more what i was going for is it singable and and is it something that is true to the psalm itself uh and so it just kind of took shape and i decided uh for that particular album uh, 10 would be a good number and there's five different sections to the book of psalms so i did two psalms from each each section uh, okay. so i started with psalm one i ended with psalm 150 and uh, apologies to those uh, in, in the Orthodox Church. I didn't have Psalm 151 in there. But, you know, <laughs> most people don't have that in their Bibles. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but that was that was kind of my process of just a lot of time sitting down with with my instrument, with a Bible in front of me, and a notepad, and uh, just trying to see where I could where I could go as faithfully as I could and have it be something that rang true. That's awesome. Well, what made you pick like the the psalms that you have like i mean because it's not all of them right now right um it it really was just trying to get kind of an overview uh Hmm. some of it was just practicality you know how could i try to figure out how to write this Uh, a couple of them were songs that were really important like uh to me um uh, give thanks to the lord call on his name make known his deeds among the people um and uh I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember the psalm number of that one right now, but that's 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 one that actually goes through and kind of tells the whole story of Israel's journey. And so mm-hmm. each verse I tried to I, I wanted to do like, how can I tell the story that the psalm is telling and then come back to a chorus, you know, and kind of do that. So that was kind of one way. There was some that I just felt like were were really beautiful psalms that would be very singable. Um, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's just one that I wanted to try to play around with. And, um, there was one that I wanted to try that I wanted to deal with lament. And so I wanted to make mm. sure I had a, a, at least a couple of lament Psalms. So, um, 
as the deer pants for water, so my soul oh, yeah. thirsts for you, the living God. And I, I, I love the old chorus that, you know, probably a lot of us grew up singing, you know, the, as the deer. Yeah. But I that psalm that. is really not like a, it's not like a lovely prayer chorus. It's this, like, I'm, I'm literally fainting with thirst here. Like I'm, I'm dying and I'm, I'm longing in such a way that uh, if I don't get a drink soon, like this is the end for me. Like, I'm not going to mm. make it through this. And I think we have a hard time even understanding um, what that kind of feeling would be. Probably none of us have ever been that thirsty, but I don't think it was something foreign uh, right. to the writers of the Psalms. So, uh, yeah, it was just different topics that kind of would hit me and, and things that I wanted to, that were speaking to me at the time. There was a few that, that didn't make it. There's still some that I'm working on um, all these years later that I still want to try to, to write into uh, a song form that I might be able to record and there's a couple that I did have written that didn't make it on but these these 10 just felt right for the project wow. at the time well uh, Nomadic and I won't be satisfied until you've done all 151 that's so <laughs> okay uh, that's that's a that's a life goal for sure so, yeah. and, and with like the the suspect like kind of like a violent ones like we can just we can hop on some remixes <laughs> some like rap tracks that'd be, you know what I'm saying? That'd be perfect that'd be i perfect. love it we should do that <laughs> so uh, a couple of years ago you also came out with a record called thunder mm-hmm. and that one actually i was so fascinated it has a previously unpublished song by rich mullins yeah. and rich mullins is like this super fascinating songwriter uh you know i i think probably most most famous for what like awesome god mm-hmm. um and and died way too young but like yeah. uh he had this legacy now so i'm curious like how does this happen how do you end up recording a rich mullen song that nobody's ever checked out before yeah uh well it was it was a real mm-hmm. honor when, when i had uh, spent some time with Lifeway Worship doing an album with them, one of my publishers, his name is Randy Cox. And Randy was Rich Mullen's very first publisher. So he wow. was the one that took Rich's song to Amy Grant, Sing Your Praise to the Lord. And Amy Grant made that a really big hit and that kind of put Rich Mullins on the map. Um, and so he had kind of been entrusted with uh, a dozen or so songs that were written by Rich that other than like just a rough, recording had never been really recorded by uh, anyone at least that i was aware of wow um and so one of uh, rich's uh, writing partners um kind of took some of these songs and, and revamped them uh low alexander is uh, is his name and he he would uh, he was a close friend of rich's and uh he kind of took some of the songs that were a little bit unpolished and kind of polished them up a bit and, and made them a bit more like the form that we have today. And Randy couldn't get any interest, believe it or not, in the Nashville community, uh, even as the publisher that he was and a number of songs that he published that were really big. Um, there was no interest in doing Lost Rich Mullins songs at all. And this has been, wow, I don't know, uh, five years ago. There might be more interest now uh, but at the time, it was it was like nope, just just not not interested at all. So he just went around and started asking 
different artists and he would just share some of these songs with me over email and uh, I was like oh this is a good song I like that one I like this one um, and I didn't expect that I was going to be asked to do one but he, <laughs> he emailed me this song called Thunder and there's one other one too that he asked and I just didn't have time to record it but maybe one day there's, there's a song called Bartimaeus that Rich wrote which is a really cool song and if I wow. ever had a chance I hope to record that one too um, but he he played Thunder uh, or I played it after he sent me the email. I just wrote back. I said, yeah, I love this song. I can't wait to hear, you know, whoever does it. And he wrote back and said, well, do you want to be the one who does wow. it? And, uh, and I was, I was like, let me fast and pray about that. And three seconds later I said, yes. You know, <laughs> um, it was, you know, so it was just it was a very really, fast, fast. Yeah. Very fast, fast for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it's still, I, I consider it to be just one of the great honors to, to have any, any part in, kind of rich's legacy at all because he was a, a big influence on me as a songwriter and That's talk amazing. about somebody who not only was taken from us too early but he was not a fan of a lot of the inauthenticity that we see mm. in a lot of ccm music today and i think and if he would have been alive today he would have he would have gotten in some good trouble for sure with uh, the way that <laughs> the ccm community has gotten tied in with politics and everything else you know he would have sure. been i think one of those prophetic voices that would have really kind of stood against the tide in some ways so yeah did i answer your question fully you, uh, you yeah. did you did but i do have one follow-up you made vinyl i did yeah <laughs> it was yeah, more of an and, astonishment an excited ex astonishment you know yeah and uh and i was uh, just starting to, to tour with them and starting to sell them and then the pandemic hit and now I have like 500 of them in my basement that I've not you know <laughs> it's like I, I've got to figure out what to do with them now because they're expensive and, and yeah yeah so if anybody listening rickleejames.bandcamp.com you can order your own vinyl of the whole album thunder because we've got plenty I'll make you a deal. <laughs> you're going to get that bruised beers and shipwrecks bump. You know, you're just going to you go. sell hundreds in the next two weeks. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. I hope we'll see. <laughs> no, but that's, that's really amazing though. And that's, that's really an accomplishment um, on so many levels. I mean, for you to have built the relationships and to have the artistry to be asked uh, is a big deal. And then for you to, to be able to, to tour that and to turn that into vinyl. I mean, it's, it's quite an accomplishment. That's something to, to be proud of for sure. Well, thank you. Um, I, I feel very uh, honored and unworthy to have been able to do it, but I'm, I'm grateful that I've got to be a part of that for sure. Yeah. Now you have a motto uh, that I think probably ties in nicely. Hear it, sing it, live it. What do you what do you mean by this motto? Really, it gets back to uh, what I understand the gospel to be and living out life. Um, we hear it first as a as a musician. It works well because uh, we hear songs, you know, and mm -hmm. we hear it first and then we sing it. Um, and again, I'm I'm going to tie it back to Fred Rogers again because he has this great saying about you know from the time you were very little, you've had people who talked you into talking, who smiled you into smiling, who mm -hmm. sang you into singing, and who loved you into loving. And so it's a little bit like that. I think we hear it first. So we, and, and then we, we sing it. Um, and and, it, and it, uh, then we live it, you know, <laughs> we do all these things together. Uh, and then sometimes we, uh, we sing it for others and then they hear it. 
and then hopefully they live it. So it really has to do with just trying to strive to be what we say we are as, as believers in life. Uh, and really kind of is as simple as that. There's a little bit longer of a mission statement on the website that a, a manager I was working with a few years ago really pressed me on, on trying to, you know, get something that you can really encapsulate into who you want to be as an right. artist, as a person. And, and that's kind of what it came up with. So yeah. hopefully it's something that's meaningful. That's beautiful. And you're serving now as a chaplain, which is a little bit outside the music space. What? Yeah. How'd that come about? Well, uh, and, and in well, what context too, I should be clear about that. Yeah. That's what I was gonna ask. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in a hospital actually, um, working, going through a, a year long residency in a CPE program. Uh, this past summer, uh, I did a, uh, 10 week long intensive as an intern and that was not a paid position. And it was, it was hard. It was more than 40 hours a week and working in hospitals and doing master's level, like work. Uh, in clinical pastoral education. And I, I, initially it was because a um, little over a year ago, I started really feeling a calling uh, to investigate chaplaincy. And I wasn't sure why. Um, I then found out that, you know, you have to, you have to have some sort of uh, higher ed degree. I had my bachelor's degree, but I didn't have a master's. And uh, I looked up online about chaplaincy um, not really even understanding what it was about, but I would just could not get away from this sense that I was being called into it for some reason. So uh, I, the first search I did was Loyola University in Chicago uh, when I looked up chaplaincy and I remembered, oh, I've got a friend who I actually do this podcast with called Welcome to the Neighborhood, a Mr. Rogers tribute podcast, <laughs> David Dalt, and he teaches at Loyola. Uh, wow. I had to call him up and say, you know, tell me what you know about the chaplaincy track in the, in the <clears throat> ministry. They have a, a program called MAPS at Loyola called uh, Master of Arts and Pastoral Studies. And okay. uh, one of them, one of the areas in that master's program <laughs> is uh, chaplaincy. And so he talked with me, prayed with me about it. And we both kind of through that decided I should probably apply to Loyola and see what happens. I figured I wouldn't get in. That would be the end of it. And this was all just a big, you know, mistake. God wasn't really speaking to me. But wouldn't you know it, I got accepted into Loyola and then <laughs> started my started my master's work. Uh, terrified, honestly terrified, sure. because I hadn't been in school in a long time. I didn't yeah. know what chaplaincy even entailed, why I was being called into it. Um, but then they told me in the program, you have to have four units of something called CPE, which is clinical pastoral education. Okay. Uh, and, and I thought four units and each unit is over 400, is like 400 hours working in a hospital. And the, no, it's 300 hours working in a hospital, hundred hours working, uh, working in a classroom space. Um, and so it's, it's no wow. little endeavor at all. Right. So again, I thought this seems like too much. I don't know how this is going to yeah. work out. Um, but I did the summer program this summer for CPE and I was expecting to go back to Loyola uh, this fall here in a month or so and uh, they invited me into the residency program which is a paid position for a year working as a chaplain um, and so there's three units of CPE which is what I need to complete the degree uh, and it also allows me to work in what I think is a new vocation that I'm being called sure. into so um, and that led to you know 
I thought maybe music is done for me for now, but it turned out it, it was part of unlocking some creativity in me that I feel right. like had been kind of blocked for a while. Uh, and so I even like released a song um, just a couple weeks ago called As I Walk These Halls, which is about my experience yeah. as a chaplain. Tell, tell, us a, this... tell us a little bit about that. Well, I was, I was inspired by actually uh, working in the hospital when you're doing this kind of work, you're actually doing a lot of overnights. So there's times mm-hmm. when you go in um, at like five o'clock in the evening and then you're done at eight o'clock the next morning, or sometimes you have a 24 hour shift, occasionally uh, 48 hours, you know, and you have a sleep room on site. Um, but I had just finished uh, one of my overnight shifts and I was waiting on the relief <laughs> chaplains to come in. Uh, because I'm at a teaching hospital, so there's a number of other chaplains that are there. Um, but when you're doing the overnights, you're just completely alone. You're by yourself in the whole hospital, and you cover, at least where I am, I cover about four different hospitals. So okay. if there's a need in another one and they get a page, I have to go. Right. So it was the end of one of these long shifts, and I just sat down with a guitar that I leave in the office, um, and I just started this tune kind of started coming to me Mm. um started picking it out on guitar and then i thought i better write this down or i'm gonna forget and i recorded a little bit in my phone i had about five minutes to work with (laughs) that morning (laughs) um and that night i was heading out to play a concert up in northern ohio and uh when i got there the song just kept you know when when you have a song working on it I, i know both of you know like you just can't get it out of your head and you keep working with it so when i had a chance after sound check and everything and I got back to my room and I actually had a chance to sit down and actually work with the song I'd say it took about an hour to completely finish it you know and then feel like I'd spent some time uh, but really the song as I walk these halls is it's the experience of chaplaincy uh, at least my experience of it as it has been uh, in, you know, over these last several weeks uh, in song form yeah. And I've been grateful that other chaplains have told me, like, this is what exactly the experience, like mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're doing the work of chaplaincy. Mm-hmm. I've had nurses tell me, this is exactly what we do. I've had people, doctors, you know, <laughs> this is exactly yeah. it. So I'm right. finding that I'm, I'm being interviewed now by different places that um, have a, a foot in the medical community. You know, and I thought I never would have thought in a million years I would be able to have like a musical voice in, in medical circles. That's a very sure. thing I hadn't even thought of before. <laughs> and yet here we are with people who who are giving so much of themselves every day yeah. to care for people and to do the work of healing. And so now I'm I'm uh, I'm doing less proclaiming and a whole lot more listening because you mm. don't do a lot of talking in chaplaincy. You are mm. there not to be a witness and to like proclaim the gospel in a hospital room you are there to witness these people and to see the living Mm. document that uh, what anton boyson called the living human document that is before you um the matthew 25 where jesus says when you've done it to the least of these you've done it unto me and i'm discovering that chaplaincy is not so much about people seeing Jesus in me as it is me seeing the Jesus in them, you know, and in mm-hmm. those moments and those patients and the people who are sick and their families and the doctors and the staff and the different ones. And um, I encounter Christ in 
in in the eyes of many people from many races and religions and faiths and colors and creeds. Uh, and and every day as I walk the halls, it's like I see God in different ways and in different people. So that's kind of really what the song is about. Yeah. That God would give me eyes to see the holy ground that I'm on as I walk these halls. It's interesting. I, I mentioned earlier about the lunch I went to um, today with, with some folks from church. And I was sitting next to one of our, uh, one of my pastors, uh, Father Alex, and he does... I mean, I guess both of our priests do a lot of visitations and stuff, but um, with him, him being the assistant, I think that's one of, one of his duties is he regularly sees like our shut-ins. And then obviously if someone is sick and in the hospital, so I was telling him about your song and your single and I, uh, you know, just describing it. And it was funny because he used similar language about like walking these halls. And he talked a little bit about, um, that you know he's often going to a specific place and i'm assuming that's the same for you you've been requested and you walk past a lot of people you may even have opportunities on occasion on your way somewhere to help someone but for the most part you're going to a specific place for a specific need mm-hmm. and you're nonetheless though you're walking through the halls with where a lot of other suffering and a lot of other difficult stories unknown stories to you um, you're passing right by and just talking to him about that, I think was a really good and unexpected prep for talking to you because one of the lyrics that stood out to me in your song is that in the sickness and the suffering, we can find the face of God. Hmm. And that is a perplexing thing, um, particularly without faith it's difficult to understand what this means, but can, can you go a little deeper on that? Like your thoughts behind that lyric and the sickness and the suffering, we can find the face of God. Yeah. It's a really mysterious thing to talk about. Um, I can't explain exactly how it is. I can't even claim that I always see it myself Mm -hmm. when I'm in those places. But there is something about that place of suffering that is so sacred. And my belief and what a lot of other Christians believe is that Christ does not stay away from our sufferings. That part of what makes Christ uh, so different from what maybe a lot of other religious beliefs offer is we believe our God comes in to the very place of the need and the hurt and the deepest pains that we have. We, we see evidence of that on the cross, that Jesus would willingly come and lay down his life uh, for people who are not loving to him, who are uh, wrathful and angry um, and does not only come in a cross form, But Jesus, even in his life leading up to the cross, is always going to the places where suffering people are. Uh, He's going to, uh, there's stories that we have of like the the woman that was caught in adultery. We never hear about where the man was that was caught in adultery, but, you know, they bring the woman (laughs) forward and drag her before Jesus. And he's not content to join the crowd in that moment who are ready to stone her. He is with that woman. 
you know, in that place. Um, and story after story of the power of the gospel to me is this mystery that somehow I believe God enters into that pain. God is revealed there in some way. It's not always in the happy clappy. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's less in that. Um, but there's oftentimes that I sit and listen with patience that I will remind them right now in this moment, you are not alone in your suffering. And I don't know how to explain it to them. And, and they can't even explain it to me some ways, but there are just moments that God shows up and God is revealed. Divine moments happen in places where people are suffering. They will want to pray. They'll beg me, you know, can mm. we pray in this moment? Um, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just want to sit and have somebody with them for a while. Right. But in all these things, and I know this is way too long of an answer for this. No, you're good. Um, this is what we but want. There, <laughs> but there's but there's just a mystery there. I'll, I'll give you one example that is both from my life and from a chaplaincy perspective, too, if you don't mind. Uh, one of the hospitals that I sometimes am responsible for uh, here in Ohio, they have this uh, beautiful serenity garden. And uh, it is a place with bricks on the ground and many of the bricks have the names of infants who died there at the mm. hospital who were in the mm. care. And you'll have the date of birth and the date of death are the same day, you know, mm. the, that, that the bricks are there on the ground. My wife and I, we've, we've lost four children through miscarriages mm. and mm. there's such pain to that. You want to talk about a shipwreck. Um, that that is one of those shipwrecks of life that so many couples and so many women understand um for me i walked into that serenity garden uh just a couple of days ago and i was just overcome with emotion and uh, i was with a couple of other chaplains and it to me felt like such holy ground to be on that place to be walking on these bricks and yeah. taking time and to think that the hospital would would see it as so important to make this mm -hmm. serenity garden for people to specifically come back and I don't know how else to express it other than as we stopped and they all saw that I was becoming emotional my my friends that were there with me and they said can we just stop and pray together in this moment Mm. So we're in this hospital, which most people don't think of hospitals as anything. It's just a place to go to get medicine and getting taken care of, wheeled out. And we we intentionally just spent moments together, uh, remembering not only what my family had been through, but looking. Yeah. We looked and on the ground, it was from a few years before, but it was the exact same date as the day that we were there at the hospital. Mm, and I thought, oh, wow. we thought for this mother and father who today, this is the anniversary of their loss. You know, we're looking at this right. baby's name on the ground and we stopped and we prayed for them in that moment because we thought today is going to be a day that for them is hard when they're going, right. God, please, please comfort these people. Draw near in the way that only you can. Um, and it is... A powerful ministry and I, I didn't know why God was calling me into it 
I still yeah. don't understand it quite, but I am seeing the picture more. I feel like I'm doing some of the best ministry that maybe I've done in my entire time in ministry, you know, maybe in the last 20 years or so. So sorry for that very long answer. <laughs> but, That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes, especially as a musician, it's like we're always trying to figure out how to, you know, you know, we're always trying to express ourselves. And especially as Christians, sometimes it's like, okay, well, what's our place in the world and how do we express our faith? You know, uh, well, like we talk about authentically, but like, sometimes it's just like, God is like, this is where you're going to be. And this is what you're going to do. And it might be unrelated to music, but it's related to you as a person and what your place is in this world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm struck too listening to this, um, well, I, I thought of the, I don't, I don't know if you uh, know Benjamin Gibbard or Death Cab for Cutie, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, Benjamin Gibbard, Gibbard is one of my favorite songwriters and he's got a song called uh, What Sarah Said. And this, I love that song. Yeah. And, and yeah, isn't that an amazing song? And, and toward the end of the, of the song, what Sarah said is love is watching someone die. And, you know, it's a poetic line. It's, you know, it's not necessarily meant to be uh, hyper-literalized everywhere, but, but th- there's, there's a truth there. And I'm struck by, like, sometimes the best thing is to be present. And when someone is suffering and someone is going through something, they just need presence. And that presence itself, it seems to me, is love. Yeah. It, because if love's an action, your presence, uh, because it's 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 difficult, I'm sure. It's difficult for you to choose to walk into these places day after day. Mm. But it's a gift of yourself uh, and a gift to them. And, and probably, I would imagine when you walk out of there, you realize they've given you a gift too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? I, I'm so glad you mentioned that song. Love is watching someone die, and then the end of that song just keeps repeating. So who's gonna watch you die? You know. Mm, and yeah. I have seen just this past summer. I I never would have guessed I'd see so many people die. I've, I'm there a mm. lot for a lot of deaths, and um, with a lot of family members, and sometimes without family members. Sometimes I'm the only one. You know. Um, that's one of the saddest things I, I can think about is I wonder, and, and we never know the story. You never know a person's story. Um, but I've just always thought how tragic it is that here I am a complete stranger. I'm the only one here with this person right now. No family, no friends. Yeah. Um, some of them, some of them have very long lives and they've outlived everybody, including their own children, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is really a, a, a a wild thing to think about you really know, they've they've seen spouses die they've seen children's die and they're they're now you know some of them over 100 years old and they're still on the earth most of them can't get out so they don't have friends left um yeah there is something to this ministry of presence and what they teach us and uh, about being chaplains is you first have to be present to yourself you have to be present to the presence which is what we would call the divine god um, and then you are present to others, and then you help others be present to the presence <laughs> is, is how it yeah. goes along. And so if we can in any way just be there 
and be yeah. and be present with these people. Um, it's amazing what God will do and how God will show up by us just simply being there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I was also thinking of, you'll, you'll have to help me here. You probably know this, this scenario, but there was, um, there's an anecdote in one of the Fred Rogers books that I read where he had asked someone for prayer and it was, yeah. I, I don't, I don't recall the circumstances of who he asked, but it was someone who had mm-hmm. suffered a lot. And he said something to the effect of um, that he believed that people who have suffered a lot know God well, something like that. Can you, do you remember that? I do. Uh, Tom Juneau uh, writes about it in the article that was so famous. um, And the title of the article is escape me right now, but they ended up making the film based off of Tom. Oh, it was from that article. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and Tom is, is a great guy too. I had a, chance to speak with him on the podcast one time oh, that's awesome and, and and this story um it, it's it's one that i believe the the child that fred was going to visit i i believe it was a severe form of autism if i'm not mistaken okay that this, okay. this child had and this child could not seem to form his words properly and would get overly anxious and and would kind of like do violence to himself and Mm -hmm. and just would really hate himself you know at times and the one thing that seemed to bring him comfort was mr rogers neighborhood whenever Mm -hmm. uh, he would come on tv and i don't remember the exact circumstance of how they came together but fred rogers ended up visiting this child and this child didn't he was so anxious about it because he so respected fred rogers he wasn't even sure they were going to be able to do the meeting because he was just so worked up and somehow uh, Fred went into the room with him and just being the presence that he was very chaplain like, by the way, (laughs) just, just being a presence to this, this poor child who had been suffering so much and just kind of sat with him, uh, reminded him of how special and unique he was and you're exactly right. At the end of their meeting together, he asked him, uh, would you pray for me? Right. And he was sincere. Fred would ask lots of people. I, I talk about like I know him or something, calling him Fred, but <laughs> I almost feel like I do. I never met him, but yeah, it was that instance. There was instances of, of people um, who were dying of cancer. Um, There's stories of him going and being in hospitals and places and he would ask them often, people who were suffering, if they would pray for him. Wow. And, um, and you're exactly right. He said, I just believe that anyone who suffers that must, must know God so well, you know, to, yeah. be, to be suffering in that way. And again, getting back to that whole idea of uh, in the sickness and the suffering, we find the face of God. Um, Fred Rogers really seemed to believe that, you know, he yeah. really, he, he wasn't putting on anything he didn't seem like from anyone who knew him when he asked you to pray for him uh he really hoped for and wanted your prayers right. <laughs> he felt right. like he was a flawed human being who needed the prayers of people uh, yeah. and I, I think that's a pretty beautiful thing and i have on occasion i don't do it very often but on occasion um i have asked people in the hospital that i'm there to visit if they would pray for me and yeah. it's it's been remarkable because in some ways that helps to reframe the situation too yeah and helps acknowledge to this person 
so so often we look at people who are sick and are suffering as victims and yeah. like like their only role is for us to do something for them and it, yeah. it helps i think in some ways to reframe them if they are people who are open to praying i think it helps to reframe for them that you're not done here and yeah. your only task is not to be a sick person. <laughs> yeah. You also are a human. And uh, one of the greatest privileges to ask another person is, would you pray for me? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've yeah. even asked it at times, uh, you know, would you pray for me as I walk these hallways? Because I encounter people and I don't, I don't know how to help them. And I don't know how to even love them in a way they need. And on, a, on occasion, I have asked that of patients myself due to the example of Fred Rogers. And, and I've thought of yeah. him in those circumstances i have a a friend from when i lived in philadelphia cranford coulter Um, he has had a ministry among the homeless for decades many decades and he's the only other person i've heard talk like this uh with with regularity and particularly on this issue of asking others to pray for him uh you know lots of people look to him after decades of ministry like He's the answer guy. He knows all the things about what the homeless need. Gosh, what a good guy he's serving the homeless. But, you know, Cranford would never say those things about himself. And what I actually saw modeled by Cranford out on the parkway in Philadelphia was actual humility. He would do things like, uh, and I'll, I'll get to the point here, but he, he, will do, he would do things like have two kinds of soup because some people say beggars can't be choosers, but why can't they? Mm. What, why can't we give some yep, dignity yep. back right here by giving them a choice and some soup, not just yes. take whatever we have. No, you're, you're mm. a human being, make a choice here. And, and he would ask for prayer. Mm. You know, people would often ask him to pray for them on the street and they would have particular needs. Uh, you know, sometimes they even needed cash for a specific reason. Maybe they needed an ID card or something. Uh, but he would always find a way to turn that back um, to mm-hmm. asking them for prayer. And, yeah. you know, I'm not saying I've done that with any consistency, but I've done that a few times, even on the street, you know, instead of just God bless you, mm-hmm. maybe also pray for me uh, might be appropriate, at least, you know, from yeah. time to time, I think it yeah. frames yeah. it properly. Well, and there, there's something as far as like, when you're suffering, you remember God more and are a little bit closer you know i mean i haven't it you know could be a thing but i haven't heard of anybody who's won the lottery finding faith you know um i think it's you know it's like in our suffering there is that um that uh, that awareness of how finite we are and how much there's something greater than us out there Yeah. yeah i think you're onto something with that for sure now, we've been talking a lot about Fred Rogers. He, he keeps coming up. And I think that's appropriate, not simply because I'm inspired by him, but also because you've done a lot related to that. Uh, you've got the Twitter account I mentioned. You've got the podcast that uh, we've talked about a little bit. And you've had some amazing, uh, amazing guests on that show. So I'm just curious, take us into that space. Like, how'd you get into Fred Rogers um, or, or really like as an adult, how'd you decide to spend a significant amount of time talking about and thinking about Fred Rogers? Sure. Um, 
really, this started back for me. I had checked a book out of the library called The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers. And oh, yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't thought a lot about Fred Rogers since I was a child. Uh, but for some reason, it just struck me and I, I became interested and decided to read this book by Amy Hollingsworth. Wonderful book, if people have not read it. I, I, I don't know how many times I've told people about it. But it's sort of a spiritual biography of Fred Rogers. It lets you know who he was from someone who knew him and worked with him and was a friend. And I was struck by not only just what an amazing person he was, but he didn't just become like Fred Rogers by accident. He really carefully cultivated this life of becoming um, this man that is known for his kindness and for known being known for his godliness. He doesn't seem to have all these skeletons in his closet that so often happen, you know, once a person dies and then we find out, you know, they, <laughs> right. they had, you know, he, he, from all accounts seemed to be maybe more Mr. Rogers off screen than he was on screen, mm. Um, mm. which is a really powerful thing to think about. But again, his spiritual practices this is what really moved me the most he was almost like john wesley or something in the way that he would wake up early every morning and i think it was around five o'clock that he would wake up and would start his day uh with with prayer and he would uh do bible study and prayer and his reading for i think about an hour in the morning and he had long prayer lists of people that he would remember when he was praying and then that would turn into he would go to the local ymca and he would swim laps and i think he would do i can't remember maybe a mile every day uh swimming in the pool and then he would kind of continue this ritual throughout the day it was it was almost like his life was a liturgy as as he would walk through the doors of the studio to record his television show his prayer was uh ritually lord let some word that is heard be thine today Mm. let some word that is heard be yours and i even kind of put uh that in the song as i walk these halls uh, God, please let a word that's heard come from you today uh, is the line in my song. Um, yeah. And I find that that's a prayer that I've adopted in the hospital every day. And I pray it several times a day because I don't know what's going to happen in the room that I go into. Sure. Um, so I'm grateful to Fred Rogers for modeling that. God, let some word that is heard be yours today. Uh, and it could be that the person hearing it from me will hear it from you, or I might be hearing it from you from that person I'm speaking with. So just yeah. let the word be yours. So he would walk in his studio, again, keeping this almost liturgical type life where he would do these shows where he would uh, show us what it meant to love our neighbors, show us what it meant to embody the gospel without preaching Um, But I learned that he was the first televangelist, (laughs) you know, he was commissioned by the Presbyterian Church with a special ministry (laughs) through television to families. Um, In my opinion, the first and best televangelist. And uh, (laughs) he he never did it to get money or fame or notoriety. He simply embodied this gospel idea of what it means to love our neighbors and to love them well, no matter who they were no matter where they came from, um, no matter what color skin they had, they, everyone was welcome in Mr. Rogers neighborhood. (laughs) You know, Um, I almost feel like it was, uh, and the kingdom of God is like every time you would turn in, you know, (laughs) this is kind of what it would be like. And I also discovered through through some other books. um, There's a, 
I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it. I'll, I'll think of it in just a minute. But it's a book about uh, the countercultural Mr. Rogers. Uh, Michael mm. Long wrote the book. And okay. I'm only thinking of the subtitle of it. Peaceful Neighbor. That's the one. Oh. And it's, a, it's really like the theological work about how subversive Fred Rogers was. I mean, and mm. he would address on his show uh, very deep, very heavy topics you wouldn't think preschoolers yeah. would deal with. Um, but things like uh, like death. I mean, the first week of the show was about the Vietnam War. I mean, it was mm -hmm. it was done through the, the neighborhood of <laughs> the make believe, but it was really this like pacifist stance on war wow. and what it means to love our neighbor and how do we love our enemies and those who are persecuting us. And um, it's it's really quite something. Uh, and and he would deal with a number of things, race relations. He would deal with. Um, things things that we might not think of as a big deal right now but i can tell you as a parent it's a big deal going to school for the first time you know <laughs> like yeah. things and and what does it mean now that the you know the the one that i have shared numerous times on on the twitter feed is just the clips from him going like to the crayon factory you know and and uh, doing the picture picture of showing how crayons are made and things and mm -hmm. um and I think what, what always strikes me the most about Fred Rogers, and I'll get into in a minute uh, where the account came from, but he had a way when you watch those shows, even though he was the one on screen doing the talking, he had a way of making you feel like you were being listened to. You know, he, he would, if you ever watch an episode, notice how well heard you will feel <laughs> when you are listening to Fred Rogers mm. talk it's because he's like speaking right into your heart and helping you understand what you're feeling and thinking at the time. It's a powerful gift. I don't, I don't know what to do with that, how right. to think of it, but it was a true gift he had. So around 2016, I think I was just depressed at the state of our nation. Um, yeah. It's not like today where everything's perfect and nobody fights. Uh, <laughs> <just>. <laughs> um, but we, we had just had obviously a very uh, contentious like election season. Yeah. And for me, I was, I was downcast in my heart. I still am to an extent, but I was downcast in my heart. At all the people who I felt like had revealed to me that they didn't really believe what they said they believed about who God was and who their neighbors were to love, mm -hmm. you know? The evangelical church, especially, not not only, but especially, um, put their support behind such a such an immoral person, and uh, and just continued to do so for years after, and still to this day continues to embarrass themselves. And I'm, I'm not trying to get all political; it's just how I see it. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean honestly, um, and and it, I don't even want to both sides it. I know none of us are perfect. And I know that even just the game of politics is not a good game to start with. It's not one that we can look at and say, thus is right, the kingdom right. of God. Yeah, but right, I was right. so disheartened at so many people who I had seen who just decided, well, I didn't mean it. You know, it mm. just felt that way. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So part of for my self-care, I had some quote books by Fred Rogers okay. to remind me that I needed to love my neighbor no matter who that neighbor was, <laughs> whether I agree with them or not. Yeah. And I just started this little Twitter feed called Mr. Rogers Save. 
I would have called it Mr. Rogers says, but I ran out of letters and I couldn't. <laughs> I, I figured that's what it was. I couldn't get that <laughs> S on there. I still trying to figure it out because Twitter is just a weird thing. You can't put all the letters you want. And I just started sharing quotes from Fred Rogers. I made it clear that I was not part of his estate or anything. I just yeah. said, I'm just an admirer of him. And uh, it just resonated with people. It just took off. Um, that's awesome. And a hundred followers turned into a thousand and a thousand turned into 2000, two turned into three. And I, I don't even know how many we have today. I think there's something like 70,000, 80,000 followers or something. Uh, I believe it's 87,000. Is and, it 87,000? And, and the only reason I know that is because when you retweeted one of my posts, all of a sudden I was, my, uh, my phone was blowing up with likes and I went, who in the world retweeted me? And then I saw it was you, and I went, "Well, how many followers does he have?" And I looked it up. Uh, it was it was eighty seven thousand okay. when you retweeted me. So that's right. pretty impressive. Well, that's you know what, and I I can't I I I'm glad I'm glad it was something that was helpful to you. Um, I can't take any credit for it because it's just all Fred Rogers. I think people yeah. are just us like so longing for someone with moral authority to speak. Yeah. I think that's mm -hmm. what we have an absence of right now. The more I think about it, there was a time, let's say when Fred Rogers was alive, if he was still with us today, I think he could speak into a lot of our yeah. culture war situations and be a voice yeah, of yeah. reason that mm -hmm. everybody would listen to and go, you know what? He's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, we we yeah. need to behave ourselves. We need to straighten up and stop acting this way. Um and maybe I'm wrong, but I cannot think of a voice of authority in our culture right now who would do that, um, yeah. who anyone would listen to on kind of every side, no matter where you were, and just go like, wow, I respect that person. Um, and that's a yeah. really, that's a real shame, I think, that we, in in the absence of a moral authority, have run after just anybody with power. And mm. I, I think that is a real shame. And the church has been the worst offender of this, in my opinion. Um, and I, I'm saying that as not someone who hates the church. I say it as someone who is a part of the church and loves the church. And I grieve over it deeply in yeah. my heart. Um, so the only thing I can think of is that's why that account has just continued to grow and, and bear fruit. Um, I think people need that voice of, of moral authority um, that is not preachy, but yeah. is telling people the truth about who they are and who their neighbors are and even who their enemies are um, and, and telling each of them that they have a place and that they are special just the way they are, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's all I can attribute it to. I, I wish I could say I had some mastermind plan behind, you know, yes, we grew this account to what it was, <laughs> um, but I, I didn't. And honestly, I, with fear and trepidation, I started this little podcast, which does not come out very regularly at all now. Um, and I, the welcome to the neighborhood and Mr. Rogers tribute podcast. Um, it was just something I asked. I said, would any of you be interested in something like that? And several people did. And we released it and it went like, in the top 100 on iTunes when it, you know, like when it first came out, um, which amazing. was again, I'm going like, how did this happen? It's, I don't think it's anywhere close to that now, but other countries are now finding it. So every now and then I'll get 
a, a, an email saying congratulations you're you know top 10 in taiwan or something you know and i'm like really <laughs> who's, who's <laughs> like it's it's become an international thing and i don't understand that's awesome um, because there's places that people never had Fred Rogers even. There was never Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers' Neighborhood. And there's different right. countries now that are discovering him. Um, so that's kind of my story with the account. Um, I know there's more to tell, but it's it's as, as simple and uncomplicated as that. Yeah. <laughs> I needed it for my own self-care. And it's another thing that has become some of the best ministry I've ever done. I feel like awesome. and I'm grateful that I'm grateful that it's being used hopefully to help people in their day. Um, I've had people send me messages at times that they were in some very dire circumstances and were yeah. ready to do some real harm to themselves. And uh, they said, I came across this quote from Fred Rogers tonight. I just wanted to thank you because it mm. stopped me from doing something drastic. And, um, and I would always try to tell them what Fred Rogers would tell people and he would say that, well, that was the Holy Spirit interpreting my words to be what you needed to hear in that moment from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to be faithful to what I think he would say to people and let them know that same thing, that this is, I, I don't think any of this is from me. I think it just must be the Holy Spirit interpreting um, maybe what our world needs to hear <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, through this good man who was just a kind, faithful, humble servant. Yeah. Well, Arsenio Hall uh, said it about Fred Rogers, and I'll say it about you. Um, I can't think of a more perfect guest to have on tonight. Uh, you, you've been just incredible to have on and, and talk through these things and to hear your, your heart for other people, uh, your heart for God, um, and that you know the, the message of, of the gospel seems to be something that you seek to live in your life. And uh, it's it's been an honor to have you on, honestly. Agreed. My goodness, thank you so much. It's it's been a real privilege to to get to visit with you both tonight. So thank you for for having me on. Well, be, before we sign off, um, I know you have another podcast called Voices in My Head, and you probably have some social media you want to drop. Um, you want you want to tell people about your website. Why don't you go ahead and just whatever people need to check out let us know right here uh you know what if if you just do a google search of my name rick lee <laughs> james that'll show you everything you need honestly um i've got like a twitter account but every <laughs> every social media account i have just ends with rick lee james so you know facebook.com <laughs> rick lee james twitter rick lee james like it all is just in that vein so if you just want the mr rogers things specifically uh it's on twitter at mr rogers say and uh, we we do also have a uh, instagram account by that same uh, name as well which I, again it's not all the time but occasionally i'll add some fred rogers related things on there um but no mostly i just want to say uh, thank you for for having me on uh your show and if you don't mind i sometimes like to end conversations with with new friends and podcast friends uh, in the way that Fred Rogers would end his show. Would it be okay if I kind of ended with something Fred Rogers would do at the end of his shows? Sure, go ahead. Okay. You know, he would always uh, sing his little song. I'm not going to sing the song for you <laughs> at the end of the episode, but I do think it's one of the great things that he would say at the end. He's, he would always remind everyone, and, I, and if everyone listening could hear this, you make each day a special day. You know how? by just your being you. 
man, there's no one else in the whole world like you. And people can like you exactly as you are. That's awesome. Thank you for that, Rickley James. And um, we want to play a song from you. What song should we play? Oh, how about As I Walk These Halls? Will that be all right? That's, that's my newest perfect. one that's out now. So great. That's perfect. Thank you. And everybody knows uh, where to find us at Bruce Beards, Nomadic Vagabond. He's at Nomadic Vagabond. Roll Ruckus is Roll Ruckus and Roll Ruckus Official, depending on where you are. And if you are interested, check out buymeacoffee.com slash Royal Ruckus. We are accepting some support and I'm getting ready to drop. By the time this episode is out, uh, we should have some really special collector's item packages and stuff from Royal Ruckus history. Um, we'll get some CDs and stickers in your hands. So, um, Anyway, thanks again for joining us. And now we are going to listen to As I Walk These Halls. Walking through the doorway
I just accidentally had like a menu popped up and I couldn't get it to go away. So no, anyway, word, word. that was good, man. Um, oh, I need to make sure I'm stopping the recording. <laughs> yeah, boy.